Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. great to be here. And, uh, and I, I want to encourage you, if you can, to pull out a phone, pull out a notepad, and to take notes. Um, the big reason I suggest this is because you will get more out of it. Yeah. That's really all it is. And I want to trust that God can speak to you. Uh, I can say some things, but God can say great things. And it's really important for God to speak to you, because what God speaks to you is very pertinent to your specific scenario and your specific situation. He wants to speak to you to give direction for the things you don't know or don't have direction for. He wants to give you direction, and he wants to give you input. He wants to give you encouragement. And my hope is when I develop a message that what I develop, I can hear from God to speak into you, but that God would speak to you. Sound good? How many of you want God to speak to you? How many of you would, like, it'd be pretty amazing if today, in the back of your head, while we were sitting here for the next 20 minutes, that you heard the word from God for your life? Wouldn't that be pretty amazing? Whether it was a sentence or a phrase, don't give up. Stand strong. I see you. I know you. I love you. I'm there even when you can't see me. I was there when you were broken. I was there when no one else was there. What if that one word could change your life today? What if that one moment, that one, that one step from the Holy Spirit could change your life today? This is what we gather upon. We gather upon the statement and truth that God wants to speak to you. Otherwise, we're just doing religion. These practices of what was, these practices of what could be. But no, no, we're, we're ingrained into the reality that Jesus died, was buried, but he rose again. And if we don't get the rose again, then we miss out on the input that Jesus has for our life today, in this moment, in this situation. A dead Jesus is no good for me. Only a Jesus that is alive is good for me because he can still speak into my situations. He can still see my brokenness and call me worthy. He can still see my hurting and, and, and tell me to get back up again. He can see the path when it seems like there is no path. He can see how to restore things that have no possibility of restoration. He can see how to fix your finances when you can see yeah. no way out of the debt that you have. Only an alive Jesus is good enough for us. Yeah. And only a live Jesus is a true Jesus. Because Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. I'm just trying to catch you into a spot for a moment because here's what happens in our our weeks, and I really have to get to my message in a moment here, but here's what happens in our weeks is there's so much of your world that does not involve Jesus. And when you come into church, when you've spent a whole six days without Jesus as any part of your life, I'm trying to get you just to remember that Jesus is important in your life, let alone introduce you to him again. So in this moment, can we just remember for a moment that Jesus is interested in your life? Yeah. Jesus is interested in everything, every part, every, every, every question that you have. Jesus is big enough for your doubts. Yeah. Jesus is big enough for your discrepancies. Jesus is big enough for your uncertainties. Jesus is big enough for all of these things that are going on in your world. Jesus is big enough. So in this moment, before I try to get into this word, can we first come to this premise and this foundational understanding yeah. that Jesus is big enough for it? Yeah. That before we talk about what he has to say for your life, that you believe that he has something to say for your life. If every day we woke up, this is a a practice, I remember one of my lecturers in Bible college said, he would get up, and and how many of you know uh, how much time you're supposed to pray each day? 
Exactly. <laughs> One hour, three hours, if you were in a message I did a number of months ago, it was, who was it? Uh, uh, I can't remember who it was, but Martin Luther, thank you, who said he needed to pray three hours a day when he was really busy. Well, that really sets the bar to impossible for us, doesn't it? But I had a lecturer in, in college, and he, uh, he was a trucker, and he'd, he'd found Jesus, and uh, he said when he gets up every day, he prays until he feels Jesus. That's the metric. The metric isn't, oh, I prayed for five minutes. Oh, I prayed for 10 minutes. Man, if it takes 10 seconds to get to Jesus, you're there. But then if it takes an hour, yeah. you need to take the hour to get to the point where Jesus is involved in your life. Yeah. Too many of us try to make a formula out of the relationship, but relationships do not have recipes. Yeah, that's good. This is actually what we're talking about. We're talking about you can't get there from here. It's the, right. it's the uh, investigation into something we talk about in church called legalism. And if I could break that down in one way, legalism is trying to make a relationship a recipe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's trying to make your relationship with Jesus a recipe. That if I do this, if I put this ingredient in, if I put that ingredient in, then it becomes equal to worth and value in Jesus. But Jesus is a relationship. Think about any relationship around you right now. Your child, your spouse, your parent, your boss. Does recipe equal relationship? Does A plus B equal C? If it did, there'd be so many more flourishing relationships in the world. Because we like A plus B equals C. The reason relationships are so hard is because A plus B plus Z, minus C, equals who knows what. (laughs) I ask my wife these questions all the time. I'm like, hey, do you want to do this or that? She's like, well, I think maybe if we did sort of this or something like this, I'm like, A or B, babe, A or B. Why? And she's like, C.3, she says. I'm like, can I just go away from the situation for a moment? No one else has situations like that, right? But legalism is trying to make a recipe out of your relationship with Jesus. It's trying to say, okay, if I read my Bible every day, then Jesus says I'm worthy. If I pray for five minutes each day, then Jesus says I'm worthy. If I make it to church 50 Sundays out of the year, I got two grace Sundays, but outside of that, the the grace runs out for me. It's trying to make a recipe out of the relationship, but there is no recipe to relationship. This is what I want to dig into. Um, uh, uh, Are you with me? Have I convinced you to listen yet? Todd's not there yet. <laughs> I just like to pick on you, Todd. You know, if you sit in the back row, that means I get to pick on you. So if you sit in the front row, I won't pick on you as much. <laughs> I said as much. <laughs> That's it. All right, let's turn to our Bibles. Uh, we're going we're gonna to open with uh, the verse that we've been using over the series, Galatians 2.20. It should be on the screen, I think. Will it or will it not? It won't be. Okay, great. So I'll read it to you instead. I like to make faith statements. They don't always work, you know, but here we are. Galatians 2, verse 20. It says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Everyone say, no longer I. Who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And what we want to dig into today in uh, Galatians is Galatians 3, verse 10. And I want to open with that. Um, I want to give you my title. We're going to pray, and then we're going to go from there. So in Galatians 3, verse 10, it says, But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. Say his curse. His curse. Everyone else, say his curse. his curse. For the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. My title for this message, if you want to write at the top of your notes, is Streak Secure. 
Streak secure. Why don't you bow your heads? I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, I love that you are here. I love that you want to speak. Holy Spirit, I love that even the hidden things that we try to hide from you already know. God, the things, the questions we don't know that we would need to ask, the the questions that we're uncertain about, God, you already know what they are. So God, I pray that each and every one of us in this room would give you permission to speak to the things that you need to speak to, not the things we want you to speak to. That we would be changed truly by your word, changed truly by your presence. In Jesus' heavenly name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we were, we've been doing this series for the last four weeks on, uh, really it's been a series on Galatians and on the concept of legalism. Legalism, again, I want to use that little definition. Legalism is, is trying to make a recipe out of a relationship. It's trying to say that if I do these things, then I am worth and worthy in Jesus' sight. But here's what we have to remember is Jesus saved us. If you've made the decision and you've put your faith in the grace of Christ, then Jesus has saved us. His death, his burial, and his resurrection was sufficient. For everything you've ever done that should keep you from him, and everything you could ever do that should keep you from him, his death and his resurrection is enough. You never show up to church again, but you have faith in Jesus, it's enough. You never read the Bible again, but have faith in Jesus, it's enough. You never pray again, but have faith in Jesus, it's enough. Now, all of these things are beneficial. Please do not hear me say don't do these things. But none of those things will make you more worthy or more worth it to Jesus. I love this scripture. When Jesus is um, baptized by John, the, the Baptist, he's baptized, he goes underwater. It's before he starts his ministry. So before he starts speaking and, and teaching and preaching to people and collecting his, his leaders and his um, apprentices, if you will, and he's, he's baptized, he comes out, and it says that the voice of God comes from heaven, a dove comes down and, it's, and, and says... This is my son in who I am well pleased. The best part about that whole scripture is Jesus had done nothing. That's the point of that scripture. Whether you do anything for Christ, if you have faith in him, he says, you are enough. Not your actions are enough. You are enough. And then this is what happened. In our humanity, we have a hard time dealing with that. So then we try and remedy it with our actions. That can't possibly be true because I know what I've messed up since you gave me freedom of life, so I need to try to work my works back up to it. Jesus says, no, 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 I was enough. Don't try and make your works enough because your works will never be enough. I'm enough for you. Let's say that for a moment. Jesus Jesus is enough enough for for me. me. I know, only 20 of you believe it at the moment, but we'll we'll get there. Try it one more time. Jesus Jesus is is enough for me. So this is where we find ourselves. In Galatians, Paul has written this to the church that they have uh, a church in Galatia, and they have come to this understanding that Jesus is enough. And then other preachers have come in and said, well, yeah, Jesus is enough, but you've got to get circumcised. Because circumcision is a sign of the promise of God. So yeah, Jesus is enough, but at the same time, Jesus plus this. It's not Jesus plus anything. Right. Anytime someone says Jesus plus anything, they missed it. And this is what Paul says. He says, if, if angels came down from heaven and told you a different good news, they're wrong. If I come and tell you a different good news, they're wrong. Only the one good news, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, is the good news complete in itself. And 
And I want to read further in this verse. So Galatians 3.10, it says, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So here's what this means. Have you found this? Um, and when I, when I started thinking about this, I immediately thought of, well, I didn't bring it up. That's a, my phone. When I was thinking about this, I immediately thought about my phone. And I was listening, um, you know, so this scripture says, Cursed is those who try to do everything in the law. I don't know about you, but in my morning routine, I read the Bible. I've got a Bible app. I open it up. You know the best thing about the Bible app? It's that little, it's that little uh, you know, lightning bolt thing over there that tells you how many days you've read the Bible each day. And you know the more those numbers go up, the more urgently you feel the necessity to read your Bible that day. Has anyone ever done that? Maybe it's not the Bible. I know that's a bit too spiritual for you, but I also do French lessons, right? So I do Duolingo. Uh, let's take a look at my streaks so that you can all, uh, you know, pat me on my back here. So 398 days. Woo! French lessons, 398 days. I know. I'll pat myself. It's okay. You know, it's this amazing thing, this, this streak, and it's, it's designed to help us be consistent at things. It, it, it taps into some real big brain things that I don't know enough about that help us be consistent at things. And the Bible app, you, you see that and it makes you consistent. But you want to know a, a trick about the Bible app? Is it doesn't actually register whether you read the Bible that day. It just registers whether you opened the app. <laughs> and you know, it's funny. When, when first I start to do something, I want to read the Bible every day. I read the Bible every day. I read the Bible every day. Then I'm like, my, 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 my street gets to like seven or eight, 20 or 30. And then it's not really about reading the Bible every day. It's about making sure I don't lose my streak. It's not really about whether I read the Bible that day. It's about whether I opened the app and didn't lose my streak. It turns itself, this thing that is supposed to be joy and helpful in my life, it turns itself into a curse. I remember when we were going down to Mexico, Kimberly and I, and I shut off my phone when I go to Mexico, and I have this existential crisis of what am I going to do to keep my streak going if I have to shut off my phone when I'm in Mexico? And every day this thing boils on my mind, this curse about trying to get this thing done to make sure that I maintain the right standing of what I'm trying to do. This is what legalism is. You know, you're not maybe as spiritual as me with the Bible app. Just, you know, I let my streak expire this week so that I could be two today. And it's a funny thing about the French app, you know, it's 398 days. It's pretty impressive, isn't it, guys? If you're not impressed, Jesus help you. 390 days is pretty impressive. But here's the thing, no one, can, no one can maintain these things, right? Like there's no reality that I can hit it every time without the mark. And these app developers, they love these streak things. They love making sure you feel secure in your streak, right? So they make sure that you can feel secure in your streak. So they design it, right? So instead of reading the Bible every day, it's that you open the app. So it makes it attainable. Because here's the thing about the law and legalism, it's unattainable. 398 days. You know what's an amazing thing you can buy on the Duolingo app? Streak freezes. Oh, I'm going to run out. I'll just pay a dollar here and 398. But on 20, the 22nd, I've got a streak freeze. Which should look like five days. But to my spirit, I want it to look like 398 days. 
And there's this thing that happens in us when we come into the law is we actually begin bound to something that is unattainable in our life. It's the very same truth as perfectionism in your world. Perfectionism is the pursuit of something you can never attain. And legalism is the pursuit of something you can never obtain. The law in the Bible, for those of you who don't know, the law in the Bible is, sometimes we talk about it as the Ten Commandments. It's further than that. There's more than that. But this is really what the Bible's talking about. Fulfilling the law. Doing all the right things that you're supposed to do. Supposed to do. The things that earn you rights into the kingdom of heaven. The things that earn you validity. The things that earn you value. The things that earn you worth. But here's the thing about it. No one can do it. So if you try and set your worth and your value upon the thing that no one can do, do you know what happens to your worth and your value? It's never obtainable. If I have to have my worth in whether I still have my Duolingo streak, if I have to have my worth and value of whether I still have my streak on my Bible, if I have to have my value and my worth on whether I've fulfilled the whole law, it ends up being a curse on me because it's an unattainable thing. Please be very aware in this space. I was, I was with a couple yesterday and I was thinking about telling them this and I'll, I'd like to remind you this, that the times that your relationships with people gain the most traction and growth and development is not when things all go right. It's actually when things go wrong. Because in the wrong, you develop and grow something in there. Have you ever met that couple? I met one Yesterday, they, uh, I, was at, I was performing a wedding, officiated a wedding in Kelowna for a niece of a gentleman who used to be on the board of our church in Revelstoke 25 years ago. And it's an amazing couple. They, uh, they really have a passion for couples ministry. They're 68 right now. And they were telling me about how they had always been proud to tell people that they never fight, that they never had conflict. They were telling me how they've been in counseling for the last five years at 68. And they said, we realized that we loved being able to tell people that we'd never been in conflict, but it just meant we didn't talk about things. Because if you're trying to obtain the perfection, it just means you bury things. You either, your worth becomes undervalued and, and unvalued, or you bury things and you don't grow and develop. Now, when I look at Jesus, that's not what he wants for our life. He wants your dirty things out in the open. He wants the dark spots exposed, not to shame you, but to help you. Because nothing you do or don't do will ever change Jesus' value and look upon you. Jesus' worth for you, his death and burial and resurrection was sufficient for everything you were going to do wrong, everything you've done wrong, everything that you don't think is wrong that you're still doing that is wrong. Because it's not about what you do right, because Jesus had to come, he had to die, because that was the only way of perfection to come into this world. Pursuing perfection will only leave you in bondage. And pursuing trying to get everything right will only leave you in bondage. It, it says this in um, James uh, 8, verse 11. This is, written by, um, this is written by the Apostle James. I've written it here twice, so I'm just confused. It says, if you really... Keep the royal law found in Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, you are doing it right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and convinced by the law, uh, and are convinced by the law, or uh, you are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. We think, oh, we're pretty good. Like I haven't killed anyone lately. 
didn't steal anything publicly. We want to categorize these things. But to be honest, I probably lied this week. And you probably did too. You probably got angry at someone that you shouldn't have. Jesus, when he's talking about this in Matthew, he's, he's having this sermon on the mountain. He says, okay, you guys are trying to be law abiders, so you say, well, I didn't murder anyone, so I must be okay. He says, if you just looked at someone angry, it's as, as though you murdered them. And they're like, well, well, we can't obtain that. Jesus is like, that's the point. He says, I didn't come to abolish and remove the law. I came to fulfill it because you could not fulfill it in any other way. We cannot find, this is, this is the alternative of that, is we start to think we could do all these good things to obtain our right standing with Jesus. No, we can never do anything to obtain our right standing with Jesus, so we have to trust that Jesus did everything to obtain our right standing with him. If I'm good enough, no, it's not about being good enough because we can never be good enough. But Jesus looks at us and says, we're worth it, irrelevant of anything we ever do. Legalism is this reality that tries to keep us bound to perfectionism. That our value is standard upon everything that we do. We need to repeat this, or I'd like for you to repeat this for a moment. I am not valued by what I do. I and valued by Christ as who I am. So quiet, that repeat. I know, I, tr I try to make it really hard for people. But I think even as we try to repeat it, it doesn't feel true to us. We want it to be true. We look at it and say it should be true. But it doesn't feel very true. Because it doesn't feel like the... the economics of the world, which is also the point. We're not called to be a part of the economics of the world. The kingdom of heaven is on earth, but it is not earth. People look at you and value based on what you do, what you do right, what you do wrong, when you mess up here. You know, have, most of us, many of us, have relationships that are severed in our life based on something that someone did. But that's not the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is restoration in relationships despite what someone did. It really is comfortable, isn't it? Because this is what happens, is, is when we get the revelation that Jesus died for us, irrelevant of everything we've done, then we, out of the overflow of that revelation, can forgive other people for what they've done to us. It can't come the other way around. And it's, a, it's far more offensive if you try to make it the other way around. If I'm just telling you, hey, you have to forgive the person who wronged you, the, the severed relationship, there, you have to find restoration. No, no, it's, it's restoration out of the overflow of the understanding of what God has already restored in me. I am not worthy of the relation with Jesus based on my works. I am only worthy based on Jesus making it available to me. And when I understand the great gift of grace that he's given me, then I have grace overflowing to gift upon other people. Otherwise, it just feels cruel and unusual. 
when you're a, a debted person who's had their debt forgiven, do you hear what I'm saying in that? When you're an indebted person who's had their debt forgiven, then it becomes out of that overflow that someone else's debt is really a lot smaller than we tried to make it before. Legalism robs you of the freedom Jesus purchased for you. It's like finding Jesus is finding freedom and being a Christian is fighting to maintain it. The fullness of your salvation is found in that moment when you find Jesus. And then you spend the rest of your relation with Jesus fighting to maintain, and I don't mean by your works or your energies, but to maintain the reminder of your true spirit that you already have freedom. The gift of freedom from Christ is offensive to our society and to our mind. It's just too, I wanted to use this word, majestic to fully understand and comprehend. We must allow it to continue to be awe-inspiring or we will likely diminish it into nothing. When I was um, officiating this wedding yesterday, I made this sort of statement that, you know, when you get married, you generally start, generally people get married out of infatuation and emotion. But infatuation and emotion at least in my situation, has not kept me married. (laughs) And I said this, I said, don't diminish love to an emotion, but heighten it to the reality of commitment that it is. This is the same truth about the freedom in Christ is when we diminish Christ's freedom to the works that we can do, we diminish it. But we have to heighten it to the reality that Jesus saved us and is sufficient in itself and to enjoy the freedom that that involves. Nothing you do from today until the end of your life will change how much God loves you. Nothing. So many religions try to tell you otherwise. It's just not what Jesus tells you. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the light. And then what happens after that? We say, yeah, but Josiah is the way, the truth, and the light. Yeah, but Alex is the way, the truth, and the light. No, no, no. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. Sufficient in himself. Enough in himself. Here's what we need to do. We need to know, without a shadow of doubt, that attaining your salvation... Here's a church word again. What is salvation? Well, to be saved, you must know there's something to be saved from. You can't find Jesus without recognizing the need for Jesus. My desire is to show you why we need Jesus and to show you that Jesus is the answer. I love when people um, talk about, uh, there's this concept called the original sin that Adam, uh, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, therefore we are born with a sin nature. Sin nature just means that we like to do things that aren't best for us. Can I say it that way? I know when I say sin, most of you think murder and adultery and all these sort of things, but really it's, we like to do things that are not best for us. 
And I love when people um, in our church can resonate this, with this well, is, uh, you know, many of us have had children. And when our children were born, we learned that they like to do things that are not best for them. They didn't have to be taught. My son, Everett, does so many things that are not best for him. And you know what I have to spend my life doing? Teaching him how to do things that are best for him. Because our nature is in a spot that we do not pursue the things that are best for us. This is what it means by salvation, is that Jesus came to save us and make a way for us because we have a propensity and desire to do things that are not best for us. So this is what he saved. And his death, his burial, and his resurrection is sufficient for that. So it's not, we do bad things, therefore we have to do good things to earn it. No, no, we do bad things, and there's not enough good things in the world that we can do to get to the spot that we earn his salvation. So therefore, he had to just give it freely. And all we have to do is accept it freely and maintain that it is a gift that is given freely. So we have to know that your salvation is an impossible feat. If you ever believe that you can save yourself, you will move yourself into legalism. Obtaining this perfection, this law, this thing that is unattainable, and your worth and your value will diminish. It's just the truth of it. Is if I think that I can save myself, the truth is you can never save yourself. So then you're stuck in a spot where you are not enough. If only I was better, if only I was stronger. If only I had this, if only I had that, then I would be good enough to be in this spot. No, no, no. You're good enough because Christ was good enough. You're good enough because he paid the price enough. And then it's funny, you know, I, I, I want to tell this story. I've I got to get to a close. Is this, I, it doesn't matter. That timer just tells me how much, nothing. It tells me nothing, really. Um, uh, my wife and I, we were away on a vacation not very long ago. Uh, well, I guess it was... It was not very long ago, uh, a couple months ago. And it was the first vacation we went on, a beach vacation. It was the first beach vacation we'd gone as a couple ever. Yeah. Um, and we have three kids, and, uh, and that, they weren't with us. And that was wonderful. People asked me after the trip, they're like, how was the trip? Was it great? And I'm like, yeah, the last two days were good. <laughs> we were there for eight days. Um, and we had a fight on day, what would that be, day six? We had a disagreement. We don't have conflict. We have... Marital discourse. No, I don't know. We, we had a fight. <laughs> um, and I remember uh, lying in bed that night. It was like 11 o'clock. I was up to like 1 a.m. And I'm praying, you know, because when you have a fight, that's, that really is what you should do. That was going to sound really sarcastic, but that really is what you should do. So I'm, I'm praying. And, and we have, we, you know, in, in your marriage or in your relationships, you tend to have two different prayers. You have, um, you have the, the God bless them and the God fix them. <laughs> So this was a God fix them prayer that I was having. Uh, Dear Lord, this woman, if she would only do this, and if she would correct that, it's all her fault, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, here I am going out. And it's funny, he did not really tell me how to address and fix my wife. He did not give me insight in how to make her better and how to make her uh, realize the, the faults in her ways. This was not what he gave me direction in. He just directed me on the faults in my ways. And then I argued. No, 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 no. Wrong person, Jesus. We're looking over here today. This is who needs the attention right here. Do you know what she did wrong, where she's messed up, where this is that? And she's like, no, no, look right here. About 1 a.m. when Jesus released me. (laughs) 
when I realized, when I felt like, okay, it doesn't even matter if my wife is wrong. I can't do anything about that. I'm never, as a spouse, you were never designed to fix your spouse. You will, you will have a marriage discourse if you try and fix your spouse because that's not what it's designed for. Please hear that very clearly. You are not designed to fix your spouse. Yeah. Losing battle. It's like perfectionism. Yeah. Losing battle. Um, so I can't correct things in my wife even if there's things that are wrong with her. But I can do things in my life. And in that moment, God told me what I need to correct. And you know what? The next day I woke up correcting the things that were wrong in my life. And it all was better. The last two days were better because I fixed me. Because God spoke to me about what I needed to fix me. And, and when we understand, like salvation, that I can't save myself, then we get into the spot of freedom that actually the things that are wrong in our life get saved. Isn't it funny how a 12-step program says the first thing you need to do is acknowledge that you can't do it on your own. And then it seems as though things start to work for you after that. When you stop trying to do it yourself, then there becomes a pathway for it to be solved. You know, if you, have, if you have relational issues, lots of the time it's about confession. Lots of the time it's about in, including other people. Most people have, who have marriage issues can't solve them themselves. So if you have marriage issues, stop trying to do it yourself. That's not going to solve the problem. You need to involve other people. That's what the church is about. Most of your problems in life need to involve other people because you cannot solve them yourself. Yeah. If you could, you would have. But here we are seven or eight years later and you're trying to do it yourself. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know why I'm saying that, but there you go. Know that attaining your salvation is an impossible feat. Because then, the price of the impossible feat, or sorry, and you need to know that because the price of the impossible feat is the opposite of what Christ paid for. Street secure. Maybe I'll close with this first. I probably said I'd close five times already, but I lied. Forgive me. Proverbs, or sorry, James 2, verses 8 to 11. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. This is not James. I've got the wrong reference point here. It's Matthew. Um, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. This is the legalist. Thank God that I didn't murder anyone this week. Thank God that I show up at church every Sunday. Thank God that I serve on every team. Thank God that I'm still married. Thank God that I'm all of these things as though that is what brings the value and approach to who God is in your life. But the tax collector, the person who did not feel like they were worth it, did not feel like they could come into a church. It's your friend who thinks that if they came into the church, lightning would strike them. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other one, went home justified before God. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Want to know a, a funny um, uh, phonetic, I think it's phonetic thing about the word humbled? We like the word humbled, but when someone else humbles you, it's called humiliation. Humiliation is the humbling from someone else. But if I humble myself, rather than someone having to humble me, humiliate me, come humbled by the gift that God's given us so that someone doesn't have to humble you by the gift God's given you. Why don't you bow your heads? I'm going to pray. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.